Welcome to CareerPod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode is a member of the CareerPod team, Mr. Gary Walrap. Today, uh, we are speaking with Mr. Bill Buzang, the Associate Dean of Graduate and Professional Programs at Emmanuel College. Bill, welcome to CareerPod, and we appreciate your participation. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Gary. Thank you. Okay, what I'd like to do is start out with your, your earlier life and your preparation, educational preparation for a career in higher education. You know, I always tell folks when they ask what I do, uh, first and foremost, I'm an educator. Okay. Having, uh, you know, having earned undergraduate and graduate degrees uh, in English, I spent about 10 years as a high school teacher, and in the last three or four years I spent uh, in the 90s as a high school teacher, I also started working for our local uh, two-year college, Okay. Uh, at which time I really sort of it extended my interest, my love for teaching, having worked with a lot of students who were uh, new to uh, sort of the college format. And uh, as I often put it, it really is a matter of uh, l- learning to learn uh, when in some of those initial uh some of those initial English and uh, composition classes, sure. uh, 100 and 200 level classes. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of this I sort of attribute to uh, really for me looking at not only uh, upskilling the foundational skills that students need in reading and writing and critical thinking, as well as discussion and presentation, uh, but also really a bearing on some self-efficacy uh, and really, it, you know, really more than self-confidence, but coming into the realization of what they're actually capable of. And, you know, in those early years, I think of students who I worked with intensively, some of whom were college dropouts who had earned uh, GEDs and never really had successful educational experiences And now they find themselves really recasting themselves as college students. And that was critical and significant to them. And some of them went on to really wonderful four-year colleges and graduate degrees and wonderful careers. Um, But also, for me, it's something that I found myself highly effective at. Well, you know, Bill, it's very interesting because your transition from high school teaching to uh, um, two-year college uh, teaching uh, was it was an example of your your ability to follow the students you know be after high school to see in some cases you know they needed help in some cases they did great but uh, I think that's a very interesting transition uh, to make uh, you know in terms of career growth well uh, you know it is and it's really a matter of you know as opposed to considering them, different populations, uh, it often was a matter of uh, being on the very same continuum. Okay. Uh, and so far as I was seeing some of the students I'd see in uh, high school, uh, often who would be in the developmental classes or r- really trying to prep for college preparation would be the very same students that were uh, later in life uh, really figuring out 
uh, how to engage successfully in education. And, uh, you know, having done so uh, with the two-year college for several years, I had the opportunity to join a, join a cohort for a master's in higher education administration. Okay. Uh, at the, at the two-year college, a, uh, a president uh, of the college saw an opportunity to uh, pair with the four-year college in town at which uh, put together a cohort of 25. It really was eye-opening insofar as expand, expanding my horizons insofar as realizing all that went into higher ed administration sort of beyond the uh, the classroom side, the faculty side. Sure. And well, um, go ahead. No, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, and, and I know you've had such a, a, a varied role in different, different educational settings. Maybe you can just uh, we left off where you did with the two-year school and tell us about, you know, the varied roles you've had uh, in your career growth, uh, both on, on faculty uh, and on the administrative side. You could take us through Absolutely. that. Oh, absolutely. I think that, as I said, as a foundation, I've always taken every opportunity to uh, to teach, and I've pretty much done so, whether it's one course a semester or more, right. uh, for the past 25 years. It's, uh, I always uh, have basically kept one uh, course to teach in play at all times, because that really is my first love, and it's really what I got into education. I still am as energized around that as I ever was. Uh, you know, going back to the cohorts, uh, I met the VP of Academic Affairs uh, from the local four-year institution who invited me to consider a, uh, a role which would combine teaching as well as running a learning center uh, at the local private college. Okay. And uh, after some discernments, uh, I stepped away from the public school setting and then uh, subsequently spent, um, you know, the next five or six years at this uh, private four-year institution, where for three years I was involved in uh, really coming up with uh, best practices for our learning center. And I think that my basis in developmental education really trans uh, transferred very nicely the fact that we're working with, um, first of all, figuring out tutoring for the entire institution, but we also ended up um, putting in place a developmental program for bridge skills from high school to college, which is in, uh, in place to this very day uh, at that institution. And uh, taking it from some developmental classes uh, in the fall of their freshman year do some bridge work in uh, the summer as well, some intensive training on reading, uh, writing, and math skills, on critical thinking skills, as well as study skills. And this really uh, provided for me a very smooth transition from the high school setting to the college setting and really you know, diving into areas I knew very well just with a different population. Sure. And uh, so part of, uh, you know, the aspects which was really a matter of self-discovery for me, Gary, at this point is that I realized 
that I uh, really am effective at running change campaigns uh, in, in different roles. And this is a common theme throughout my career in education. Yeah, well, uh, first, well said. This, well said, yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, first, this, this four-year, uh, you know, I transitioned uh, from working in the learning center to actually working in um, adult and graduate studies uh, based on a, a dean who left abruptly and the president invited me down one day and said, you know what, I'd like you to go over to the adult study, uh, you know, as an interim in the adult and graduate studies division. Yes. And, you know, talk about being thrown at the deep end in that I had no experience whatsoever with evening programs, with part-time programs, for that matter, aside from being a student, with graduate programs as well. But what she identified, and I sort of learned, she was she was spot on at the time, and she identified that I could effectively lead change, that I could manage a team, and that I understand, I, I understood uh, at its basis what was needed for academic equality within that division. And, you know, over a two-year span um, at the Adult and Graduate Studies Division, we really saw a transformation insofar as we got the right people in place, we got the right programs, uh, you know, in place insofar as that which really leveraged the, uh, the expertise of the institution, but also uh, programs that were in high demand. And we really set off for a very successful trajectory, having stayed in that place for about two years. Okay. Then I had the, then I had the opportunity to not only pursue a doctorate, a doctor of education, but also to move to a big university setting. And, and what the school was at, Bill? Uh, at that point, I arrived at Northeastern University in 2010. Great school. And yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, had five wonderful years there attached to uh, um, a team of five people whose charge it was to open campuses in other cities. So at that point, we're really involved in um, basically identifying metro areas where uh, they needed graduate degrees at Northeastern offered. Uh, okay. And in the next five years, we're involved in opening campuses in Charlotte, North Carolina, in Seattle, Washington, also in uh, in Toronto and Canada as well. Wow. And uh, really having worked with this team of five people, we're all sort of selected for this team because we all have a different area of expertise. Yes. I understood the academic portfolio, but I also understood a lot of... Uh, the needs for accreditation, uh, because I had worked at my, my last institution very heavily with uh, regional accreditation. Okay. That's in addition great. to that, uh, I worked, I w- was a, you know, very much a liaison with academic programs on the campus program. And again, really spoiling for change at the institution insofar as bringing what was traditionally a Boston-based Northeastern education to other areas of the country. That's interesting. So, uh, How did that work? Did uh, did you have particular success at one or two or even more 
uh, those campuses? Uh, you know, I think that all the campuses have seen uh, success in a different fashion. Uh, all three campuses are still uh, robust and running very well. Um, and again, uh, you know, what was really interesting about that project was that each campus really uh, had different demands depending on its metro area. So when looking at Charlotte, North Carolina, we really identified a opportunity for Northeastern to grow into not only finance and project management, but also uh, areas like nursing, since like everywhere else, they had a great demand for highly qualified nurses uh, going from the BSN to the MSN and up to the doctor of, uh, of nursing practice. Uh, you know, Northeastern is expert in all those areas and was able to fill that knowledge gap in that metro region quite successfully. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when it came to Seattle, conversely, they need computer science. Basically, uh, when working with um, when working with partners like Amazon in Seattle, um, it was really a matter of we'd like to bring our master computer science here. How many students would you like? And says, well, how many can you produce? Because we sure. have basically a, a, a limitless appetite for this. So it was a, really a, a match made in heaven. I have a question, Bill. Uh, what these programs you developed in Charlotte and in, uh, in the Northwest, were you using the curriculum from the Northeastern baccalaureate programs and just converting it somewhat to that different setting? Yeah, that's a great question, Gary, because I do think that, uh, you know, given the regulations of each state and each region, sure. as well as given uh, the demands in particular, when working in North Carolina, for instance, in some of our programs, uh, they are pretty insistent that we had, that we sort of honored the region and had, uh, you know, programs that were reflective of local workforce. So, uh, for instance, when working with uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, we really had to look at the local industry as well as the local regulations. We had to make sure our faculty were sort of cognizant in teaching the local workforce of what were the particular nuances uh, of that region. That's actually a very good question. Yeah, the, um, uh, and I know how complex that can be with the different regional accreditations required. Uh, particularly right. in, in nursing. Uh, I've had some experience with that. and uh, But that's a great activity. And that, to me, seems more like it's on the uh, administrative and sort of the dean side of, of the house, so, you know, where, where your education and your, your English skills sort of were there, but they, were, they weren't emphasized as much. Would that be the way to look at that? Uh yeah, I think that, uh, you know what, I always go back, to, Gary, to the fact that I have a very strong liberal arts education. I'm a great believer in liberal arts. Right. And, um, you know, it's interesting uh, how being in the liberal arts has translated or having that sort of foundational liberal arts has uh, translated into working with professional degrees. You know, a lot of the areas that I work with presently and I have for the last several years have been highly applied, but you know, I will go back to that liberal arts uh, 
foundation yes. and what I keep hearing from employers time and again is the importance of soft skills, the importance of problem solving, the, the importance of critical thinking, of effective presentation, able, ability to work with the team. Right. And, uh, in, you know, being able to lead as opposed to uh, simply manage. Uh, after Northeastern, what was the next uh, step for you? Yeah, I left uh, once that project was wrapping up. I left Northeastern to go to a small four-year college under a new president, uh, in order to really revitalize uh, their work with their their evening and part-time programs and bring them online. Right. And uh, you know, over a two-year stint with a a small Boston area four-year college. Um, you know, there's a there's a point of no return, and I think that uh, I had arrived uh, in really the final days of the institution. Sure. And try as we might, um, you know, this is certainly another another aspect of higher education as a whole, and what's happening right now is uh, we're seeing some contraction, especially among these small private liberal arts colleges. And I think that they are so important to the U.S. landscape and the fact that in the U.S. we really have a unique feature insofar as the missions of each institution are so distinctly different that it really is a matter of choice. Every 18-year-old, or for that matter, any adult returning to school has such a great variety of choices in how they will study, and uh, really the underpinning mission uh, involved with each of the institutions. I'm, I'm in love with it. I'm absolutely in love with it. goes back to my heart and soul as an educator. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, you know, after two years there, uh, you know, it, they started uh, really uh, reducing loads. I left uh, the institution, and I had the opportunity to return to teaching full-time with an online doctoral program uh, on the West Coast. You know, I, I, I think that this is something that I want to put an emphasis on, Gary, that it hasn't always, always been roses. But what I found was, you know, like everybody else, you know, I have a mortgage and kids, and I have to, you know, keep going. And, you know, given my preparation up to this point, I had a lot of options on how I would proceed, I didn't just have to settle. I just didn't have to settle on one position or say, oh, they'll take me here. I don't really want the job, but I'll take it. And I really needed some time to, uh, I think, re-energize in order to and, and really get back to the reasons why I got into education to begin with. So over this two-year stretch of working with uh, doctoral students uh, who were completing dissertation. It really was a great way to sort of reorient, to sort of look around and decide what I wanted to do next. And, you know, that all culminated with uh, really taking a long time to finally decide on a four-year college in Boston and, again, return to a dean role in uh, in graduate and professional studies. And that's where you are today. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where I am today. Uh, Bill, you mentioned online uh, as you were going through this. And for example, yes. in, in the uh, dissertation role, uh, 
Was that online? It, it was. I okay. think that, you know, given the, te- given the technology we have today, if this happened to be a very large doctoral program right. where I was assigned to, uh, to 25 uh, doctoral candidates. And, uh, you know, I worked with them to complete uh, their dissertations. And this was through a combination of uh, working with materials uh, on a learning management system. But in addition to that, we'd be conference calling, we'd be video conferencing, we'd be sharing screens in order so, you know, we could together look at their writing and uh, really, you know, sometimes do sort of big picture reviews of a particular chapter in the entire dissertation, but really at times really looking paragraph by paragraph of what was needed here, what to take away there. It's, uh, you know, working remotely um, over those two years, it really, uh, I think at that point, totally immersing in, uh, in a sort of distance technology, for lack of a better term, and so far as online learning. This was a bit of a, uh, an evolution for me as well. I think, that, Gary, if you asked me 12 or 15 years ago about online degrees, I probably would have scoffed because I really had no interest in you know, I saw teaching was in the classroom. I wanted a chalkboard. I wanted to be in front of people. Sure. Let's uh, let's let's interact and have those aha moments together. But over time, I really became not only a believer but also an advocate for online learning. You know, I think yeah. it's the, the in my heart and soul of my mission uh, in education as my vocation. It really is about access and opportunity. And online learning has been the great leveler uh, insofar as we see the affordable options that continue to emerge. We're seeing that, you know, the single parent family is no longer uh, bound by having to come to campus three times a week. Yes. Uh, you know, it, you know, it's uh, synchronous times and class schedules don't dictate how one learns anymore. It's really a matter of me learning at my own pace and, uh, it, you know, in my own time. Sure. You know, a way that uh, I look at it is the the online education train left the station, I would say, maybe 10 years ago, something like that, and it started to pick up steam. And you were fortunate enough to jump right on board and have some great experiences, <laughs> some great experiences, and also the dissertation role that tapped into your basic strong English composition skills. Cause that's a written document. It, it did. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Fascinating. I think that I, I work with a few other, uh, you know, folks who started as English teachers that have sort of evolved into this role. And it yes. really is a perfect marriage. And so far as, uh, you know, I often talk about it in, in, in terms of sort of demystifying, uh, writing for folks, again, many of whom who have never been, you know, really have that sort of that 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 self, uh, you know, that self image of themselves as, as good writers. But now they're writing on the doctoral level and coming up with a product, which is probably about 150 pages, 200 pages. Yeah. That's significant. That's a milestone in a lot of folks lives. Sure. Bill, I'd like to uh, uh, have you 
address your current role at the, at the four-year school in Boston. You're the associate dean of graduate and professional programs. Uh, is that evening programs mostly? And uh, how is uh, how is that going? It's uh, it's exciting. I think that I found a great home insofar as it's a uh, a Catholic institution, which. Uh, Insofar as you know, my beliefs, my worldview, yes. uh, you know, it's a really uh, it's a, it's a great uh, institution, uh, historically known for its uh, its social engagements, and that really extends to the academic programs as well. Uh, you know, looking at my work in, uh, you know, working with a team of five of us and uh, working with part time with evening, as well as growing an online portfolio. It's uh, it really is a combination of all my interests um, in that, uh, you know, I have the opportunity to do uh, good work on behalf of the institution. And it's really a matter of I go back to this idea of you know, sort of doing well while doing good. We're generating revenue, but at the same time, we're involved in once again delivering affordable, accessible education uh, to those who are, uh, you know, most often returning to college later in life. I understand. Now, the uh, uh, the role there, do you have supervisory responsibilities as well? I do. I think that, you know, when it comes to my role sort of uh, with the entire institution, uh, you know, I work heavily with, uh, the you know, in partnership with our instructional designers insofar as the online program that, that occurs at the school. In addition yes. to that, uh, I'm very much involved working with, uh, we, you know, we have six associate deans across the institution, and we all report to the vice president of academic, administra- uh, uh, of academic affairs. Sure. And as such, uh, you know, I really have to work with partnership with them because, you know, I'm delivering business degrees, so I also work very closely with the, uh, with the business dean. Uh, we're working uh, wholly as a service provider. Our unit's working as a service provider for the School of Education as well as the School of Nursing. So I'm working with both with those deans as well. So, you know, it's, it really has to be a partnership where we're aligned insofar as our goals, our vision, and I'm communicating uh, pretty frequently and effectively with them because they really, you know, especially with education and nursing, they own the education end of it, and they are taking care of managing the faculty and really creating the content while I'm working with my team to deliver it effectively. Well, Bill, you know, you sound very engaged and dedicated, I have to say. Um, putting this all together, though, if you were to state uh, succinctly uh, the most satisfying thing that, that you receive uh, being an associate dean? Um, gosh, I think that uh, it really is about making an impact or making a difference for me. And it's really about remaining sort of student-centered. I think that if you're delivering excellent, excellent high-quality degrees to students, right, and you're very high-touch insofar as making sure that they're not only satisfied but they fully realize sort of the value of the degree that they're earning. I think everything else falls into place. Okay. Um, 
in that the money comes in and the programs keep growing and, uh, you know, really everybody's happy. Okay. Uh, Bill, in terms of, uh, like most jobs, there are frustrating parts of it. Uh, is there one area that uh, creates a little frustration for you? Uh, you, you know, I think that uh, as I've grown over and as I've matured uh, as a professional, yes. um, I've become far more patient. You know, I think that higher education, especially when working with sort of 100 to 150-year-old institutions, uh, it works as a, a, a slower pace in business. And uh, while, uh, you know, we really uh, look to, uh, you know, build consensus broadly before moving forward, and, some, you know, that takes probably – three times as long as just having an executive level person sort of make a decision and explaining later. Sure. Uh, I've tried it both ways. And I think the, the you know, the brokering uh, of some consensus is the right way to do it. Uh, because otherwise, if I make a decision and ask forgiveness later, it tends to alienate people, especially in, in, in uh, the college environments. Um, you know, I have to work broadly, as I said, with my fellow deans, uh, making sure that uh, the vice president and the dean of academic administration sort of know what I'm doing, uh, also incorporating uh, faculty into the decision making. So, uh, you know, while that used to be a frustration, it sort of turned into, uh, you know, area where I continue to grow. Let me ask you, um, in terms of advice that you would give to someone who is considering a, um, a field, uh, rather a, a career in higher education, though, what pieces of advice would you give them? Uh, I would, first and foremost, I tell everybody who I mentor that they need to uh, make a commitment now to be generous with their time. And uh, this really means that, uh, you know, really expecting nothing in return, but offering your talents, your insights, uh, and really, uh, you know, offering a leg up when you can, because I do think that, uh, you know, when I when I was uh, displaced several years ago, I found that all these people that I sought to help and to advise and to uh, really help in the transition into higher education were very generous with their time with me when I found myself needing help. So I really find that, you know, that's not why I did it, but I do find that if you do make the time to be generous, if you make the connections, if you take the time to network and, you know, really emphasizing that quality of being generous uh, across your network, I think that uh, it, it always pays dividends in many different ways. Absolutely. And as, and as such, uh, you know, if I always go back to Gary, uh, when somebody's looking to make the transition to higher education, do your homework, do some research. If I, if I call you or I email you and say, I want the job you have posted, uh, please come see me, you're not going to get a reply. On the other hand, conversely, if I reach out and say, I was wondering if you could do me the favor an informational uh, interview because I want to find out about your institution about your, about your role and what I need to succeed in this environment. I find that people are, are more than accommodating insofar as, you know, slating them in for 30 minutes of your time. And if you do that often enough, 
you're expanding your network and you'll find that opportunities present themselves. Sure. Also, the, the culture of the higher education, uh, uh, I guess it's different than in straightforward business. It's, it's a little bit more uh, slower, like you said, and you get, you get involved with sort of the philosophies uh, underpinning. Absolutely. And, you know, insofar as the transition from a corporate setting, I think it's important that uh, uh, somebody who's looking for the transition really to go into higher education for the first time really has to understand how the culture is different. Okay. And that could be a mid-career uh, person who's maybe worked in industry for a number of years and always liked the, te- the teaching idea and uh, they would transition in. Uh, the career pod is set up so that they can get some great information like you're giving today to them to, them to make a, a you know qualified decision. Absolutely, and I think that especially those who are mid-career in a professional uh, you know professional role who are looking at uh, you know the prospect of teaching, perhaps uh, I work with a lot of mid-career changers who. Okay. I will, well, I will offer a course, uh, you know, for instance, in accounting, I was just talking to a CFO of a company in New Hampshire the other day who uh, I've worked with before, and he's really decided he wants to pivot and now focus on teaching. Um, so that's somebody who's invaluable, as far as I'm concerned, in having, so being so deeply professionally qualified and has so much to contribute in the classroom to students who are looking at going into the accounting fields. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll take a while for him to sort of, you know, develop his skill set in the classroom or for that matter online, uh, but it will come. You, you know, you really can't, you, you can't replace professional experience uh, when it comes to, um, you know, bringing that, that, that sort of component to the classroom. Bill, um, the idea of luck, you know, good luck or bad luck, has that impacted uh, your career? Uh, Absolutely. I think uh, meeting the right people uh, and, you know, I I look at it in uh, luck and networking, but on the uh, the other hand, it was definitely part of a broader strategy. I've had... uh, three or four key moments of my career where somebody has given me a chance and it really has felt like uh, the right person who is a decision maker having uh, been put in front of me at the right time. Uh, But it's also, uh, you know, as I said, Gary, it's about walking the walk and sort of putting yourself out there and making the connections as well as never being shy about uh, asking somebody for help uh, when it comes to facilitating an introduction or, can you please uh, set up this conversation for me? Or for that matter, you know, going across the room at a reception and saying, hey, I wanted to meet you. I've heard a lot about you. Yeah, and those are, you know, those are off, often the opportunities which lead to, uh, to a new role. Sure, they say luck is where uh, preparation meets uh, opportunity. And uh, I, w- I would agree with that. But I, I want to ask one other question. Bill, because you have such a deep uh, English background. Um, now, uh-huh. in high school, did you use the Elements of Style book? Uh, you're speaking of Mr. Strunk and Mr. White, I, I presume? Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. Yes. <laughs> it, it's, I just, uh, it's funny because uh, 
I did as a student. And I think that early on in my career, I, I brought that along. Um, you know, I think that it's probably fallen out of fashion, fallen out of style. It looks, I think, in case well today. Um, yeah. It really is a matter of, uh, you know, inspiring sort of passion and interest in writing. And, you know, what I always uh, tell, um, you know, not only, you know, parents, uh, you know, of folks who, uh, you know, have, have students in K-12, but also developing writers in college is it's, it's a matter of practice. It's, you know, when you think about, I always go back to Larry Bird and the fact that I think he was, uh, you know, of, of my, you know, when I was really passionate about uh, watching basketball, he was right. always the guy I'd watch because he, he was the, he was the first one there and he was the last one off the court. Right. And there were stories about him on the off season, just spending, you know, eight or 10 hours a day practicing his free throws, you know, taking it outside. And that's the same with writing. It's a matter of hours and hours of practice. And it's about hundreds of hours of lousy writing before you get to some really good writing on the back end of that. Sure. Well, Bill, I want to thank you for your insightful information and and views uh, on higher education. And I'm sure um, someone who needs help and needs information uh, is going to really find this to be a, a, a quite a valuable uh, episode today. Thank you, Gary.